Welcome to the Victory Podcast, where we explore life, leadership, and journey. I'm your host, Amy Forsythe. And with me today is Jason Lamb. Thank you so much for joining us on Victory Podcast, where we talk about life, leadership, and journey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Amy. It's entirely my pleasure. Oh, it's wonderful to connect with you. Um, after reading your bio, you just had an amazing career in the Air Force and you've recently retired, but now you've joined Victory Strategies. And so we're just so excited to hear your story and talk about those, you know, those wisdom, those nuggets that we can all learn from. And so um, let's go back and tell us uh, how, what ended up pulling you into joining the military um, as a teenager or with your family? So I would, I've always felt called to lead. Yeah, it started in the Boy Scouts, uh, but I always, I love the leadership and I love the service aspect. And I was also raised by a former Marine. Uh, my, my dad served in the Korean War. Um, and so it was just, it felt natural, felt like a good fit. And so when it when it came time to look at colleges or opportunities after high school, I applied to all the service academies. I applied to, to them all and, and was very fortunate to have been accepted to them and, and ultimately chose to go to the Air Force Academy, which is here in my hometown of uh, Colorado Springs, uh, my new hometown, right? Military mm -hmm. people all over the place, but chose to settle here. And, and yeah, I had a great experience at the academy. And then, like you said, 25 years later, uh, here I am on the far side of my career. Wonderful. And I'm sure your father, as a Marine, maybe uh, wanted you to join maybe the Marine Corps or is very proud of the choices that you ended up making and joining the Air Force. So, uh, yeah, that was a funny story because he asked me because I got accepted to all three uh, of the of the service academies, you know, which one do you want to yeah, be decided? I was like, after thinking about it for a while, I said, yes, sir, I, I think I'm going to go to Annapolis and I'm going to become a Marine. He looked at me, he's like, no, no, don't do, no, don't do that. He's like, don't be a, go in the Air Force. They, they send people to, to, you know, for advanced education and they have, they have great lives. They have great lives. They they seem like they're enjoying things much more than I ever did as a Marine. Go that way. So I I didn't, all I knew about the military really came from him. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to the Air Force Academy. And yeah, it worked out great. I, I love my career in the Air Force and, and, and look on it all of it fondly. No regrets. Wonderful. And what was the, the best duty station you ever had? Uh, working with people where where or what was the role yeah so so people are frequently surprised by this because i you know i've been stationed in hawaii uh i wouldn't say afghanistan was the best ever but but i've i've been stationed some really great places to include colorado um so they're a little bit surprised when i tell them my my favorite duty assignment i had was actually when i was a brand new major select um I took over as the 27th Fighter Wing Chief of Intelligence at Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico, which is a couple hours from nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was the, the most amazing uh, leadership and team uh, environment. You know, when you have nothing else to do, you focus in on, on the team. And we created an absolutely amazing team that did great things, both at home station, 
but also when we forward deployed uh, to Iraq, uh, I was just so proud to be a part of, of that team. And it just profoundly changed uh, my views on the service, but also what it meant to lead. It, it was in, an incredible opportunity that, that just changed our lives. Plus, our daughter was born there. So that was that's pretty awesome too. Well, those remote duty stations, you forge the best friendships with people because you're kind of all um, in it together. And so you, you probably still keep in touch with some of those service members. Absolutely. So uh, I don't want to even say how many years ago it was. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just say it's been a while, uh, but we still are in touch and they still reach out. Uh, and they still talk about how that was transformative for them. So it's that shared experience. You know, it was something special, uh, that it was rare. Maybe you didn't fully appreciate it in the moment, but then when you look, you're like, oh my gosh, that was, how, how can I recapture that? Uh, how can I make that happen again? So that's, that's been my leadership journey since then is trying to create that kind of environment and experience everywhere I went. And when you have teams that click and it feels good and it feels like it clicks, what were some of those ingredients in, you know, the team building and then executing a mission that you try to replicate? It doesn't always happen, but what would you categorize? What's those, what are those ingredients important to you? So the, so the most important thing is trust. When you're a part of a team and what defines a team or distinguishes a group of people from a team is the level of trust. Uh, so that's number one, right? So it's the, if I ask a question, if I express an opinion, is somebody going to make fun of me? Uh, that, that There's no trust there if, if, uh, if someone is tearing you down. That, that's different than someone that you're really good friends with and you tease each other and everybody laughs. When, when somebody's walking away saying, I know that that wasn't okay with me, that, that's not a positive environment to be a part of. Uh, the other one is the shared sense of purpose and commitment. So got a high trust, but then what really unites us and brings us together is this, why are we we're here together as a team? Other than the fact I like you, why are we here in this place? Why are they paying us? And what, you know, what provides value? So it's the high trust and then it's that shared purpose and then the last thing is a is a commitment also to mastery that we are all working to be better uh and that we help each other to be better and because we have high trust when someone says hey jason you really ought to try doing it this way um i don't feel threatened i'm not like i don't get defensive i'm like oh yeah Cool, I'll try that. I'll absolutely try that. Thank you. And so those three things blended together just generate phenomenal results. Well, let's talk a little bit about your um, writing career. So in, in addition to being an intelligence officer in the Air Force, you dabbled in writing and you got uh, the attention of some of the most senior people in the military and even Congress and uh, all in the name of trying to affect change. So walk us through what you were thinking when you first wrote, sat down to write an article and put your put your thoughts on paper. So uh, 
Yeah, I love this. This is probably the thing from my military service that I'm most proud of uh, because I think it generates lasting change. So what, what led up to this? So I, I wrote, a, for those who aren't aware, I wrote a number of articles under the pseudonym uh, Colonel Ned Stark, uh, which is which is alludes to or is drawn from a, a Game of Thrones uh, character. Um, so I was noted, I had noticed my entire career that there was this certain amount of maneuvering, posturing, uh, boxes we are trying to check to make ourselves appear more promotable. That it really didn't matter as much who you were as a person and what you contributed so much as what made it onto that piece of paper that went to a promotion board or a board that was deciding who was going to be a commander or who wasn't. Um, so I was noticing that there are these disconnects. Um, and I mean, we'd look at these promotion lists and there'd be certain people on there uh, where you're like, awesome, they were incredible. I'd worked for them anytime. But there was also an equal number of those people, holy smokes, how did they get promoted? I really hope I never have to work for them. Uh, and pretty much everybody felt the same about those two camps. Uh, and we're left wondering, how did that camp of people we never want to work for because they're a known toxic leader, how did they make it onto the list? And why does it keep happening? Um, people would throw their hands up in the air and just say, well, that's just the system. That's just the system. Uh, and as, uh, as I kept going up in ranks myself, I kept hoping, well, now I'm going to be able to make a change. Nope. So then I promote to the next rank. Well, maybe now. Maybe now that I'm a squadron commander, maybe now that I'm a group commander and a colonel, <laughs> nope. So I raised these concerns and everybody's, you know, my close friends would be like, yeah, you're right, but it is what it is. You'll never be able to do anything about it. And uh, I was one of the, the select few, the high potential officers because I'd been selected early for promotion. Uh, a beneficiary of the system. And still I'm looking at it saying, this isn't right. This, this, I mean, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. Just because I, I know how the system works and have done well in the system doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with it. Um, so I got to the point where as a senior group uh, commander, so in my, in my second year as an 06, a Colonel commander, um, I was having dinner and drinks with a couple of brand new uh, group commanders who had just been selected and just started their new jobs in the, in the last month or two. Uh, and I was, hey, congratulations. This is awesome. An incredible opportunity to lead uh, and develop airmen you know, to the next level. And they were so fired up. They were so excited. They're like, yeah, I never thought that I would get this opportunity. But now that I'm here, I'm going to make the most of it. And I can't help but wonder what this might mean for me making, you know, commanding at the next level, even. If I do a good job, of course, if I do a good job, will I be able to command at the next level? And I, I said, whoa, wait a second. Because while these colonels were very talented, very talented, very capable, they hadn't had what would be described as a fast track career. They'd been promoted on time, but never early. So what that meant, and I knew this because I was someone who had been promoted early and, you know, so they, told me, you know, they 
uh, pulled me aside and told me how the system worked and everything, but nobody had told them. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, did, did nobody tell you? And they're like, tell us what? Um, that this is it. This is it for you. Uh, you have absolutely earned it, colonel and a commander, but this is it. Uh, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, were either of you promoted early? Or no, this is it. Only those who are promoted early get serious consideration to command at the next level or to promote to the, to the flag officer, the general officer ranks. And they sat back and they looked at me and I presented all the evidence and they were, they were dumbfounded. Nobody had told them they had served for over 24 years, multiple combat deployments, lots of time away from family and friends, personal life sacrifices. Um, not that they would have changed any of it, but they had done it under the notion or the idea that now that they had reached this level, they were going to be considered at that level. What they didn't know was those decisions about their promotability had been decided 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Um, so I went back to my room and I was pacing. I was just pacing. Uh, and I, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. Cause I'm a person that's based on, that focuses very heavily on principles and values, uh, for good or for bad principles and values. And so I could not reconcile this, that people had dedicated their lives in service to their country and they were being misled or lied to by omission or commission. Doesn't matter. We weren't being transparent and it wasn't right. Um, so I told some family and friends that I was that I needed to do something. None of them were supportive. None. Uh, the only person who was supportive was actually my wife, uh, Janae. And, and the, she looked me in the eye. She knows, how, obviously, you would hope that she knows who I am after all this time. And she said, well, you do what you got to do. Uh, everybody else, especially my friends, were like, no, do not do this. This will end your career. They'll hunt you down. No. Uh, but I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. So eventually I wrote that first article and I was talking with uh, my best friend and he's like, well, you cannot publish this under your name. You cannot. Uh, they, but if you're going to publish this, and I don't recommend you publish it. But if you're going to publish this, you might as well go at Ned Stark. Because uh, he got, you know, he was a person of great principle and, you know, really uh, dedicated, but ended up getting killed for his troubles. So he's like, you might as well be him. So that's, that's why I published under the pseudonym Ned Stark. Oh, that's a great, uh, uh a great story and it made headlines and it got people's attention and so eventually though you had to reveal your identity because people were starting to ask questions and the senior leaders wanted to know and people who knew you knew though but were supportive quietly but eventually you decided to come out and reveal that the actual credibility that it was an actual person writing these articles getting all the attention yeah so um after my second article, the chief of staff of the Air Force, uh, General Dave Goldfein, actually went public and said that he agreed with a lot of what I had written uh, and that he wanted me to come work for him personally. 
to help to help him change the system, and that he was guaranteeing my safety, basically, <laughs> that I would keep my that I would keep my head. So fortunately, he was also a Game of Thrones fan, so he, he immediately understood the reference. He's like, "Come work for me." Uh, so I could have gone public at that point, but but didn't because I I still had more to say. Uh, and obviously, writing under a pseudonym really drives people to focus on the message instead of the individual. It would have been really easy to to come up with reasons to undermine my credibility or attack me um, individually, but. If I'm an anonymous colonel and a, and a beneficiary of the system, uh, they kind of have to take the argument seriously, or at least examine it, right, and and refute it if they can. Um, but at some point, as you mentioned, I did have to go public. So with so many people knowing, you know, who I was, it only takes one person to slip up, and then oop, I have no choice in the matter. So. Picking and choosing when I wanted to go public uh, on my terms, very important. Uh, but the other piece was uh, really looking at how, how can I engage and help people more? And, I, and there, so you can't really in, engage in conversations like this one when you're anonymous. It, it just doesn't work. And then the other element is at some point, you actually have to prove you are who you say you are. That you're not, you know, like a, you know, a 500 pound, 40 year old uh, gamer living in their parents' basement, just making stuff up. Uh, so you actually have to step up and say, these are actually my credentials. I am who I say I am, and I stand behind this message. So I did, and uh, and it went very well. Yeah. With the experience, the education, the life uh, lessons learned to back up what you were saying and be taken seriously. So now for the next generation of, say, military leaders or those working in um, private sector and who want to make change, you know, we talked um, that technique matters when you're trying to communicate to make a change, to make a point. So what advice would you give those um, coming up behind you and those who feel passionately about, you know, an issue and take a side and make uh, make an effort to find, identify a problem and come up with resolutions to fix it? What advice would you give? Um, first and foremost, I would recommend they be really clear on what they want to come out of the communication. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? If, you, if you're just venting because you're angry, you know, you're frustrated, um, you just need to release, you know, a cathartic release, um, don't do that publicly because you're going to potentially hurt your credibility, your reputation, and your ability to actually drive change. So take a breath. Take a breath. Uh, President Lincoln was famous for writing a bunch of letters that he never sent to anybody just because he had to get some things off of his chest. Uh, and it's, and it's, it feels really good. So in the initial drafts of some of my articles were just like that, but then you have to step back and you have to say, what is it I'm actually trying to do here? If this bothers me, why does it bother me? And how can I, how can I construct a, a, a clear problem statement, really dissected, and propose some, some solutions. So be constructive, stay focused on message and don't let emotions or other factors potentially derail or undermine your argument. 
So that, that would be my advice to people who are, are looking to drive change. And now that you've transitioned over to the other side in retirement and uh, successful career and not too much backlash from those articles and, and what's to come on the horizon for, for you? I'm, I'm super excited about what's happening with Victory Strategies. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that increasingly Victory Strategies becomes a, a bigger piece of my life because I, I believe in the mission. I love helping people elevate uh, and accelerate their leadership. Uh, and the Accelerate Leadership Academy that, that uh, released here in January of 2023. It's amazing. I think it's, it's going to throw some doors open and we're going we're gonna to be able to help so many more people. In the meantime, uh, I'm continuing to do my work engaging in the Department of Defense, making a difference where I can, when and where I can. But uh, that's 2023. Super super excited about about all the potential and the investments that that we're making they're going to pay huge dividends not just for the victory strategies team but for all of our clients well, wonderful any other projects or um and aspirations that you'd have maybe write a book or do more public speaking um i'm sure people still want to hear hear from you about your successes and uh leadership lessons learned through the years in that in the air force um you know circles but even beyond industry absolutely so i am looking forward to doing more speaking i've done a lot of speaking within department of defense and and related uh federal government areas but i'm looking forward to carrying those leadership lessons uh out to to broader communities it's part of the reason why i joined the victory strategies team that has that mix of accomplished, uh, you know, athletes uh, and in corporate uh, professionals like Jeff Boyer, I I want broader reach to help more people because leadership is about people, and that doesn't care if you're in uniform or not. People are people, and leadership is leadership. The situation can be a little bit different, but the principles are the same. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Other projects. Um, not a book, uh, at least not yet. <laughs> I have a high school senior. And so my, one of my main jobs in 2023 is to see her at a good fit at an uh, you know, institution of higher learning of her choosing and to get her squared away. So it's 2023 is going to be a, an absolutely tremendous year. And I'm super excited. Wonderful. Now, as a girl dad, what lessons have you learned um, about raising raising a good uh, a, a high school? Well, she's in high school now, but um, a girl with strong ambitions to maybe follow in your footsteps in the military? Not in my footsteps, and that is perfectly okay. So going back beyond perfectly okay, it's actually recommended. Don't go in my footsteps. Uh, go in your own. Go in your own. So that goes back to uh, the recommendations I have for those people, you know, starting out or trying to distinguish themselves or figure out what's going on. Figure out your why. What resonates with you? What's your purpose? And then pursue that. The last thing I would want is my daughter to spend any time pursuing something that I wanted. She She's the only person who knows what she wants or or in a, in a place to figure that out. So to support and enable her to, to pursue her dreams and turn her dreams into reality. Um, that's, that's what's exciting uh, 
you know, for for me. So my my uh, my recommendation to parents of girls or boys is don't impose uh, on them your model of what success looks like or what they should do, because uh, that's usually the road to profound unhappiness and eventual lift and shift into an entirely different area. So um, support, enable their dreams, their dreams, and, and help them to make good decisions. The, the other thing that, that sometimes comes up is the, because I said so model of parenting, that, that's, that's an epic fail, that, that doesn't work. It also doesn't prepare your kids for success in life. So the understanding why, uh, why? You know, you, hey, your curfew for tonight is this. Why? Well, here's why. Not just because I said so. That's unless you're looking to foster a rebellion, by all means, do yeah. that. There's this uh, there's this statement in uh, or this this proverb, if you will, in leadership that says, I find what my uh, I find what my boss is is interested in interesting. I find what my boss's boss is interested in compelling. And why is that? Well, it's because if I understand my boss's boss, I can help set my boss up for success with, you know, his or her boss. So if all of my bosses are really happy, that's good for me. Uh, so that's as a leader. So and then that way of thinking and preparing your your people, which is really what leadership is about. Right. So there's that leading up element that enables you to be successful. But then there's the leading your setting your people up for success by helping them understand what's happening, why it's happening, how to be prepared, how to set themselves up for success. And that's that's the real difference for a junior leader to see the bigger picture, not just their small piece of the pie. OK, and what would be your three tips for a successful life if you could go back? 25 years and um, give yourself those bits of information that you could have been helpful that you didn't have, what would those three things be that you would share with yourself? So first one is uh, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Uh, there's, there's this tendency to, especially when you're younger, your ego uh, can get in the way of actually doing good because we're caught up in how we look or our you know, reputation. So it's the, it's, it's that don't take yourself too seriously. Be open, be open to learning. Uh, the, so the second point then would be um, to figure out what it is you want to do and why the motivation, the why matters. So keep chasing down and figure out your why and then pursue that. And then the last one is just to be authentic. Don't try and be something that you're not. Uh, so so I think if you put those three things together, right? Don't take yourself too, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, you know, and, but then just continue to push, grow, and develop, and pursue your why. I I really think those three are the, the keys. So it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. And Victory Strategies is very lucky to have you on the team. And it's an Air Force takeover, but with such great people and. Um, there's more to come in 2023, and we're all excited to see and grow together. So, uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us here on the Victory Podcast. Thank you very much, Amy, and uh, Semper Fi. Yeah, thank you. You can find other episodes of the Victory Podcast on social media by connecting with us on Instagram, 
LinkedIn, and YouTube.